switches. My name is Corey. And my name is Jeff. We are here to tell you about a new podcast coming to the Riff Laugh Network. Corey, what is your favorite type of podcast? Well, Jeff, I like me some true crime. Well, you're in luck because the Riff Laugh Network has developed a brand new true crime podcast. Really? Tell me more. The Hollywood Dead Podcast is a serial podcast that will explore the many unsolved and forgotten crimes from the golden age of Hollywood. Researched and hosted by Vanessa McArdle, the Hollywood Dead Podcast will be your window into the cold cases of Hollywood's past. Murder, intrigue, and the silver screen. Who could ask for anything more? The Hollywood Dead Podcast, coming soon to the Riff Left Network. For more updates, follow the Hollywood Dead Podcast on Instagram at Hollywood Dead Podcast. Headline Hollywood. Entertainment cronies and cinema elitists hand out awards for excellence in moving pictures. Sometimes the winners don't hold up to the test of time. So we're here in the future to tell them how they got it wrong. This is Switch the Envelope. Welcome to Switch the Envelope, the podcast that aims at rewriting Hollywood history. My name is Corey. My name is Jeff. How you doing, Jeff? I'm doing good, all bundled up in my nice Sabres blanket. <laughs> it, is, it is a chilly night here in California. That is true. We had a thunderstorm earlier today, which is odd I, for our California weather. Rare, very rare for Southern California for us to get lightning and thunder. Um, and now I'm freezing my fucking ass off. <laughs> Well, you know, turn on your space heater, um, you know, light some candles. I, I don't know. <laughs> so last week, Jeff, you were talking about what well, we, we were talking about sports movies. And in particular, a a like nugget of this little uh, moment in the movie Teen Wolf, which has sort of like, you know, be- become sort of this like uh, legend of this movie where like if you freeze frame it at the right moment at the end. You see it flopping his dick (laughs) in digital releases and, you know, so like DVDs and stuff, they've gone back and they've edited that out. So people who would be going to see that now would be like, oh, that didn't actually exist. Oh, it's kind of a thing. But like, you know, people who have the original copies will be like, no, 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 this is a thing. But it got me thinking, Jeff, like what if we explored real myths from Hollywood and the productions that were tormented by weird goings on i think that's a great idea Corey. the urban legends of hollywood oh the urban legends there's so many too so but many we have good to split ones. them up we can't just do because there are some that are that are urban legends from old hollywood from the mm-hmm. golden years of hollywood and there are some that only there's some that only exist with the advent of vhs it's true because for some reason it was like the wild west when vhs came out VHS. When VHS came out, people were able to just fuck with movies and send them out. Maybe maybe it was because of beta. Maybe it was because of VHS. People were able to send those out. Nobody paid attention to the editing that was going on in those movies. So we, we were talking about uh, Teen Wolf and how, how, how that would slip through the cracks. And uh, we jokingly said because of cocaine, which likely was a factor. But um, <laughs> people finding it um, because of VHS home release... Uh, there's a phenomenon that happens for the first time in movie going history, movie viewing history. And that's people can stop the movie the pause when, whenever button. they want. 
the pause button is the the innovation here, the innovation. Wait, not just the pause button, the rewind button. The rewind button, the pause, yeah, all of it. Be the kind, control, rewind. The full control of the playback of this movie allowed people of, of movies allowed people to see things that they wouldn't normally see. And also it afforded people the ability to repeat view uh, more frequently than they didn't have to wait for it to appear on the Sunday afternoon movie or, you know, when it was re-released for an anniversary or something like that. So you could watch these movies over and over again. And the more you watch a movie, the more you see the smaller details in the background and all that kind of stuff. But because the quality was so shitty, (laughs) you couldn't, you didn't know if you were seeing what you thought you were seeing, which lends itself to urban legend. That's true. Yes. So the graininess of VHS makes people think they're seeing stuff that they aren't necessarily seeing. This is also true. Except with Teen Wolf, you really are seeing a giant penis. Yeah, there's a giant penis there. Yeah, That is is not a legend so much as it is true. Um, But it was corrected. So that's where like some people now going back and trying to view that, having heard it, will think like, oh, I think it's just a legend because... Uh, clearly, I, I can't see a shot where there's a giant dung, and I'm looking. <laughs> you know. Anyway, but it would. I think it'd be fun if we explored some of these uh, these urban legends. Well, uh, let's make the categories: the golden age of Hollywood, where we have, which somehow always involves somebody dying. I don't know why. There's something with the <laughs> golden age of Hollywood. Everyone has some major death. And then there's the you know the more modern, the more modern myths. Um, which, like I said, has something to do with video cassette and and searching for something weird that happens on a video cassette tape. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the uh, like when the stormtrooper had his had his penis hanging out during the first <laughs> Star Wars movie. I mean, he hits his head, his dick flops right out. Pew pew. Right out. Right out. It's right behind. <laughs> it's right behind Darth Vader and Luke fighting on that bridge. It was it's really weird. really weird. It's really weird. Go check it out. Star Wars it's, episode. It was re- really due to the fact that George Lucas told the entire cast that uh, you're not allowed to wear underwear in space because he wanted it to be as authentic. Now, see, that is a true statement that he said, <laughs> but only to Carrie Fisher, who he would not let wear a bra or underwear because <laughs> there's no underwear in space except that everybody else, all the men on, on set got to wear their boxers or briefs or whatever. Yeah, me too. Fucking dick. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So let, let's let's just start semi chronologically. Let's go back to old Hollywood. Let's go to that golden age, and probably the most famous uh, myth laden movie um, is The Wizard of Oz, Jeff. Uh, yes. However, this is not a myth that started with the with the filming of Wizard of Oz. This movie, this myth started with VHS. People didn't watch Wizard of Oz in the theater and say, "Hey." What's that I see in the forest right behind the Tin Man, the Scarecrow, and Dorothy dancing? That didn't so happen. It, 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 might, it might be partially VHS. I think that this also has to do with uh, television. This is one of, the f- one of the first few movies that became sort of this legacy movie that was played every year on television. It became an event decades after it was released, right? Basically, the studios that owned this and like It's a Wonderful Life and a few other movies... Um, were selling MGM? off. Was it MGM? Yeah, MGM. Yeah. Um, or whoever was like holding the rights to the movie at the time. Probably MGM. They it sold MGM. off yeah. a bunch of the rights to these movies to uh, television studios because they were they were bombs. They like they weren't marketable movies. 
no nobody was clamor, clamoring for like uh, you know re-releases or anything. There's nothing they could do with these properties, so they sold them uh, to television studios to play, <clears throat> and then they became these like I think like Wizard of Oz was like every Easter or something. It would it would come on, and then people like w- would would um, you know set their yeah it was know, an like, event it was an event yeah it was like okay okay so like we have to finish dinner by this time because the Wizard of Oz is going to start you know at this time and this day and it always happens every year and it's going to be a thing and that but remember what they did iconic thing people videotaped it remember people were yes. able to record them off the TV uh, so you record it you'd record them and you'd videotape it using your you know you'd 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 put your your label on it you'd put Wizard of Oz, then you'd pop that little tab out of out of your video, so you couldn't tape over it, so that nobody would tape over it, and you'd have it until the next year when you'd tape over it with you know your dad would tape over it with the World Series or something by putting <laughs> a piece of tape over that tab. The, the Olympic opening ceremony, exactly something, <laughs> or the swimsuit model or something. <laughs> yeah, or <laughs> like a random episode of uh, the Maury Povich Married show. with Children. Yeah, you know, <laughs> something would uh, happen, but. <clears throat> The whole the whole thing about this was that people once they were able to see it and stop it and watch that scene because it's not it's not quick. But let's tell tell everybody what the myth is. The myth is that one of the little people or munchkins as they are called in the movie commits <clears throat> an actor that played a munchkin commits suicide in the background of the set in the forest at the scene where you have the tin man, the scarecrow and Dorothy going off to see the wizard and dancing down the yellow brick road. Yeah, see, they had just saved the Tin Man and put oil on his joints, and they sang his song. And then the witch shows up on top of, like, a barn or some sort of... It's on the house. Yeah. House, yeah, that's in the forest. Um, and then she goes away after being like, I'll get you, you know, sooner or later. Not now, though, because the movie. Uh, you got to get another person. Uh and then they get all happy again because the witch is gone. And they're like, well, we're, let's go see the wizard. Everybody, he's going to give us stuff. Um, and as they're going down the, the yellow brick road in the very back of the scene, at the end of the forest, as it were, you sort of see a blobby body-like figure that's kind of moving in between some of the trees. And it looks like it's hanging from the tree. It, yeah, it, it sort of looks like it's free-floating free you know, hanging from from a prop tree. Now let's let's get it clear. You cannot see this on any of the movies that you see on. If you see it on any of the versions now, when you see it on TV, you won't be able to see this. If you see it on um, any of the streaming services, you can't see this. They've taken it out. You have well, to actually look it up on like YouTube. The the legend states that this uh, particular actor had uh, become quite smitten with another actress who was also playing a Munchkin, and. After you know weeks of shooting, he um, he shot a shot and was uh, turned down, and he was so sad and distraught by the fact that he you know couldn't find love that he decided to end his life on set. Uh, the truth of the matter, though, Jeff. Yeah, let's is, go over uh, why that is not true. So, uh, Wizard of Oz is a movie set, uh, not a real forest. Spoiler yeah. alert! Wait, wait, wait. Uh, well, we had to start with the number one thing. What? Number one thing is that the Munchkins. The little people that were brought on set were actually not brought on set until after that scene was shot. So there was no love that could have been blossomed. There was no person on that set that could have <laughs> that could have that could have uh, walked into the set and committed suicide in that at that time. 
Now there They're, is they a, weren't there. There is a memoir written by one of the people who played a Munchkin that was eventually turned into a stage play that sort of details uh, how they were sort of treated during during the filming. Yes. They were all put in a hotel, and there was a bunch of like you know promiscuous orgies and drug use and a whole bunch of stuff. Um, but yeah, n- nothing that corroborates the story of this particular actor trying to find love and then hanging himself. Yeah. The timeline doesn't match up. Also, the trees that are in that shot are fake trees that are yeah, like forced nailed, perspective, nailed to wooden like planks, uh, and then dressed for a set. They would not have held the weight of a body. Yeah, people have to understand this was forced perspective, so that <laughs> if you look at this set. If you look in the background, the perspective wouldn't be right. And then that leads us to the re-releases on digital platforms, DVD, Blu-ray, um, streaming, whatever, where it's taken from the original negatives of the film. And when you view it in its clarity, not via VHS or via grainy television set from you know the 70s, you can clearly see that it's a, a large bird of some sort. Uh, like an emu or like an ostrich or something, something like that, uh, in the background. Well, the official word is that it's a crane. Is it a crane? Yeah, that's what the official, oh, okay. official word well, is. It, it's, it's, a crane. it's some sort of like long-necked bird, um, and uh, he's just sort of hanging out in the background. Now <clears throat> he's got skinny legs, so in the grainy versions, when the resolution is very low, it sort of looks like a large figure is is sort of moving side by side or, you know side to side in the background and it's long neck sort of kind of could be a rope he's very close to the tree line so it's kind of hard to distinguish it from from the trees so you can see sort of where like mistaken blob <laughs> but it's re- it's really a, a some sort of a large bird apparently they um the LA zoo lent the production a bunch of sort of animals um, for them to sort of help dress the set and make it look more sort of fan- fantastical and to give more of a realistic vibe to their very fake-looking forests. <laughs> um, and at the end of this uh, shot in particular, you can actually see the crane open up its wings and it's very clearly very clearly a bird, not, yeah. not a munchkin. Or as we'll say at the end of every segment, there are skeptics and there are believers. Which one are you? On to the next thing. Hmm. Well, you know, a lot of crazy things happened on the Wizard of Oz set. Uh, Corey, did anything else crazy happen on the Wizard of Oz set? I feel like there I were mean, a couple more more things. There was some pyrotechnics that burned some people. They almost killed uh, one of the previous actors uh, because of makeup. <laughs> uh, the Tin Man, right? The original yeah, Tin Man? The, the original Tin Man. It's Ooh, kind of a switch. We should do a switch, switch on that. <laughs> yeah, he was switched. It's a double switch, too, Jeff, because... He was originally cast. Uh, we're talking about um, the original actor that played the Tin Man was Buddy Epson, right? Who I think was in Beverly Hillbillies. Was he like the dad in Beverly Hillbillies? Buddy Epson. Sure. Mm, maybe sure. not. I, I have no um, idea. Uh, Buddy Epson was originally slated uh, as the Tin Man. They covered him in in the sort of metallic paint, and the aluminum dust that they used in the paint uh, got into his lungs. He was. He was breathing it, and he got a severe case of like pneumonia, kind of, uh, and that almost killed him. Uh, but he was originally hired to play the Scarecrow, and the guy who was playing the Tin Man was like, "I don't really want to play the Tin Man. I'd rather play the Scarecrow." And so they switched roles. And Buddy Epson was like, hey, I'll, "I'll play the Tin Man. I don't, I don't really give a fuck, man. It's cool. I'm just happy to be a part of the 
He's like, at first you know, I wanted a brain and now I want a heart. Yeah, it's, it's totally cool. Like, I, I can nail the Tin Man too. It's cool. I just want to be a part of this film. It's great. Everybody um, wants to nail the Tin Man. Yeah, it's, you know, it's turgid. It's tin. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then they did the, the makeup on him. And after a few days, he, he like was having respiratory problems and he got sent to the hospital and he did make a full recovery. Uh, he didn't actually die, but this sort of led to... He was putting an iron lung. Was he? He was putting an iron wow. lung, yes. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was really serious. Like, he was... He no, was seriously, like yeah. Inches for, away from death. Like, he seriously, almost he was died. Seriously, he was in an iron lung for that. But, yeah. Uh, they ended up changing the formula of the makeup for the next actor that took over that you see in the film. And, you know, the rest is sort of just cinematic history. But he switched from Scarecrow to Tin Man and then was switched out of that role because they almost killed him. But... That led to a long-standing myth that covering yourself in paint or like makeup, full body makeup, if you cover all of your skin, it could lead to death by people assumed asphyxiation. I don't know how people thought that we breathe through our skin because that's, that's not a thing. It can uh, lead to did, like- People did acid and you know acid goes through your skin. <laughs> yeah, you know. So maybe. Um, yeah, I guess the the- the skin abs- I, I think skin absorption rates are different it's for different just things a, and yeah I, I think it, it's it's a it's real bastardization of a bunch of different things you know um, well that he, actually he happened. almost died because of a respiratory thing and he it was the paint on his skin and you know. well the paint on his skin gives us our segue to jump 25 years into the future to goldfinger tell us about that so it's also metallic paint based uh, if you've ever seen the movie Goldfinger, which uh, I believe is uh, Sean Connery's first Bond film. Um, it's a delightful Bond film if you're into Bond films. Uh, but there's a moment in which Goldfinger murders the Bond girl from the film, played by Shirley Eaton. Because everything, everything Goldfinger touches turns, turns to gold. gold. Yes, or he wants to make everything in his life gold. Yeah. Uh, right? So the way he kills the girl is he's... He, he dips her in liquid gold is sort of the the thing that they're like he drowns her in gold essentially yeah and then so, lays her out for james bond to find um and during the making of that scene they actually painted her with metallic gold that is not too dissimilar to the way they painted the tin man in the wizard of oz mm-hmm. so now we're coming back to oh you could die from asphyxiation and this myth started this legend started that uh, Shirley Eaton, the, the lady who played Jill Masterson, um, died as a result of being painted with that gold uh, makeup. The problem with that... Well, there's a big problem with that, Jeff. <laughs> yes, the problem with that... <laughs> she's she's still alive. She's still alive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the problem with that is that after filming Goldfinger, she retired from acting and started a family. Yeah, so she left the limelight and people were like, she died! Must have yes. been the metallic paint. Like, no, she's very much alive, but yeah, the uh, but the the uh, the thought of the metallic paint being a threat to to actress to to the actress was was very real in the filmmakers' minds when they made Goldfinger. So when they painted her gold, they made sure to they were also afraid that her skin wouldn't be able to breathe and she would die of asphyxiation because we don't trust science. Um, they left a six by six inch square on her on her stomach so that she wouldn't be fully covered. And then they laid her down on her stomach uh, for the shot, uh, just as a precaution. So like, it's a myth feeding into another myth. 
It's so weird. Well, I mean, no, it wasn't a myth. Remember they that no, no, the myth of like dying by asphyxiation of having just your skin covered. Yeah. And now a word from a sponsor that doesn't know they sponsor us. Hey Jeff, this movie's about to start. Do you want some popcorn? I don't want popcorn. I want combos. Combos? At a movie theater? Don't you have any combos? I mean, I do carry around a pack of deliciously flavored nacho cheese and pretzel combos for emergencies. No, man, I'm good. I only eat the pizza flavored. Well, you're in luck, Jeff, because I also carry around pizzeria flavored combos, which deliciously blends the flavors of New York pizzeria with salty, savory pretzels for emergencies, Jeff. Is this an emergency? This is an emergency. I'm having a fucking combos emergency. I have an idea. Let's invent a new movie-going snack where we put the combos in the popcorn. Only if you let me put in the butter. Yes, you can. That's fine. All right. Wow, Corey, your combos choices are great together. I think we just invented the best movie-going snack ever. It's a good thing we're on the unofficial combo street team. That it is, Jeff. Combos. Add it to your movie-going experience. Now, Corey, let's get down to the nearest convenience store and make sure that they have enough combos for all the kids to add to their movie-going experience. Combos. Ending child hunger at the movies. Another movie that's all about masculinity and being a man is Three Men and a Baby. And you can't get more manly than Tom Selleck and his mustache. No. So, <laughs> oh, man. And Corey, why are we talking about Three Men and a Baby? Because there's an urban legend around. This is one of the creepiest. Yeah, Little Ghost Boy on set. It's yeah, really so, not that creepy. It's kind of stupid. Well, it's stupid when, <laughs> once you find out what really went on. But, like, the story is that in a particular long shot in which I believe uh, Ted Danson and his mother are uh, sort of Holding a baby deal- boy. Dealing with the, or sorry, the, holding the child. Holding a baby girl. Baby girl. Um, and she's sort of like, she's come to help, right? Um, uh, in the no, background. She, I don't think she has come to help. I think she's just stopped by. Oh, whatever. She's, yeah. holding, she's holding the child. Yeah, she's holding the child. Um, <clears throat> they're sort of walking around the hallways of, of from room to room in, in this particular because sequence. Because people have to know, if you've never seen Three Men and a Baby, the thing about Three Men and a Baby is they live in New York and they have the coolest apartment ever. Mm-hmm. It's it's like a twelve room apartment in in Manhattan. They have like yeah. the entire floor. And it's like a penthouse <laughs> like no... too. There's like an elevator that goes just to their exactly their apartment it, too. Yeah, it's there's it's insane. It's weird too that there would be an elevator to what should be in New York law a walk up because it seems like it's under five stories. <laughs> when they look out the window to like shout <laughs> to the street. Uh, they're not that high up, and typically in in New York uh, buildings, especially older buildings, um, if you've ever seen um, uh, Barefoot in the Park, uh, they have a whole scene dedicated to this, uh, where they have to walk upstairs because they wouldn't they don't put elevators in buildings that don't have like more than five stories or something like that. Um, so yeah, the, par- the apartment is sort of ridiculous. It's a uh, it's everybody's dream apartment. Like this thing is fucking nice. It's very dated in some of its decor, but I would move into that apartment in a heartbeat. But the apartment is a centerpiece of why the myth started. Okay. Cause they believe yeah. that there's something that happened in this apartment 
prior to the filming. So in that shot where they're, where they're moving sort of from, from room to room, they go out of Tendenson's room at one point, And in the back, very clearly, I would say, you see what appears to be behind the curtains of one of the windows uh, is a child-sized figure that is sort of, that sort of looks like it's, it's looking glare, glaring at the actors in the scene uh, and is not moving. It's just like... And holding a... What appears to be holding something. Yeah, yeah. There's, it's kind of out of focus. You know, we're, we're not really, it's not in the depth of a field of the shot, but you can clearly see a figure that kind of looks like a little kid. And so the story goes that there was a child <clears throat> that was, you know, between eight and 12, depending on who's telling the story, um, who was a previous tenant of this particular apartment. And that this child <clears throat> had uh, committed suicide or had died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound by a shotgun. Uh, very tragic. And that his uh, you know, restless spirit is now, has now still inhabited the, uh, um, the apartment that they were shooting in. And um, his image shows up on film. And it is, if you're looking at this particular scene with that in mind, it is absolutely chilling when that figure shows up behind the curtain. Oh yeah, it's frightening. In that shot. It's like, oh shit. <laughs> you know, um, it's it's really creepy, but um, yeah, the the reality of this whole thing is that that wasn't even a, re- a real apartment. Nope, that was a soundstage in Toronto, Jeff. That was a soundstage in Toronto. <laughs> that apartment was created for three men and a baby. Before the yeah. filming of this movie, that apartment had never existed, so. No scary act like that or tragic act like that could have ever happened. But Jeff, maybe it's, I mean, it's a soundstage. Maybe it was built on like the Indian burial ground, like a poltergeist. And that something had stood in that soundstage before. And that child had still fallen to that tragic event. Except that uh, if you ever get the DVD, you'll see deleted scenes in which a very similar uh, prop shows up in a deleted scene in which a cardboard cutout of Ted Danson wearing a top hat and a tuxedo shows up. And the mysterious thing that the kid is holding, it turns out to be Ted Danson holding dog food uh, container, I believe. Actually the um, it's the prop is supposed to be for him doing a dog food commercial. The thing he's holding is actually just a fold in the, in a curtain. It's, it's nothing. It's just like a, it's, like, it's just a fold with the light hitting it a certain way. Oh, I, I, see, I see what you're saying. But a lot of reasons why this looks the way it does is because people saw it on VHS. Like we said before, uh-huh. it was grainy. It was not clear. Now that you see this scene again, when it is crystal clear and in HD, it does not look the way it did back when it was on VHS. So like we said at the beginning of this of this segment, a lot of these things happen because of fucking VHS. <laughs> Yeah, grainy video, guys, which is not too dissimilar from, uh, you know, the way that we hunt ghosts uh, on television nowadays. Or on records when when you have to rewind it backwards and say, oh, that's they're saying Paul is dead. Or you can hear the screams of somebody getting murdered in a studio next door. Oh, that's real. Singing about roller coasters. That's real. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Roller coaster. So speaking of VHS, Jeff. Now that we're in the VHS, the actual VHS era, one of the huge businesses that boomed 
uh, during the VHS era was Disney Home Video. Okay. And because of that, people started noticing that perhaps the Disney animators uh, were a little filthier than they uh, led on by the movies that they had created. And because the pause and the rewind and the rewatching, people started picking up on certain things that uh, seemed a little inappropriate when they were watching the movies with their children. Because as you know, Jeff, you are a parent. When you watch a movie or when your kids watch a movie, they don't just watch it once, do they, Jeff? No, they watch it like 300 times. Yes. So parents forced to watch these VHSs started noticing some inappropriate stuff. Most inappropriately, that rodent film. I'm talking about the mouse film. Yeah, the rescuers, the original rescuers. The original rescuers, which, where did it happen? It happened not in the original film. It happened on videotape. Yeah. And in the third-party transfer, the person that had done that got into the film. There's a new animator named Tyler Durden. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody went into the original film and actually spliced twice a woman, a naked woman into the original film. Yeah. There so is... that when anybody bought the videotape of it, there is a split second on both the films where you see a naked woman in a passing window yeah, when they're driving a, down the street. It's like a combination of six frames or something like that. It's super quick. Um, the uh, Yeah, there's a topless woman. So like the, the mice, Bianca and Bernard, are sort of sliding in a can down like a wire or something they're trying to get to someplace or they're in a chase i don't even know um behind them is a bunch of like new york city apartment buildings brownstones and stuff yeah and you just see like a a blur of of windows kind of going by in the background and somebody placed in one of those windows that goes by very quickly or two 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 windows that's right um yeah topless woman uh you know like old nudie mag (laughs) clip out of uh topless woman photos and uh, I've seen that footage. Uh, it's it's very blatant when you're looking for it. You're like, oh, sh- yeah, that just happened. Oh my gosh! Um, but it's not. It has, it has been corrected. It's not in the original film. It wasn't done by Disney. It was done by a third party person who did the the, v- the VHS transfer. Um, but that was, was a myth. It was Tyler Durden. That's what, that's yeah, what he does yeah. in, in Fight Club, right? Like, he yeah, that was in the, one, one frame of of a porn. That was the uh, that was a myth of the rescuers having a naked woman in it, and actually, it's one hundred percent true. If you want to go, lots of copies. <laughs> yes, very very true. So, moving away from Hollywood cartoons and onto Hollywood royalty, fucking Natalie Wood, right? Yeah, this particular story is an odd one. Uh, she dies in November twenty eighth, nineteen eighty one, and her cause of death is drowning and hypothermia. Right. Accidental drowning at accidental. First. That's right. Accidental drowning and hypo- hypothermia. So the story at the time is that she's that she fell off the boat somehow, or she was trying to get back on the boat and slipped and fell, or something like that. She fell um, off a fifty-five foot yacht yeah. called the Splendor. <laughs> yes, on her way to Catalina with her husband Robert Wagner and friend Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken. Come on, give me some Christopher Walken, Corey. I can't. Oh. everyone wife. has a Christopher Walken in them. Your wife, she, there you go. she fell off this fucking boat. <laughs> That's not a very good Christopher Walken. Yeah, you're almost there. <laughs> almost. Um, yeah, give me a week and I'll, <laughs> I'll have a quote. Um, yeah, Christopher Walken's on this boat. Robert Wagner's on this boat. 
uh, Natalie Wood's on this boat. They're the no, only. She's not. <laughs> well, <laughs> she wasn't at some point. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's real fucked up. <laughs> oh, sorry, Natalie. Uh, the only other person on this boat is his captain, right? Who is paid by Robert Wagner, apparently. You know, yep, Dennis uh, Davern. Yes, Dennis Davern is the captain. And um, at first, the captain, Dennis Davern, Captain Davern, uh, which is honestly great captain name. Captain Davern, that's the guy yep. you want. I think right? they called him Cappy. Cappy? Cappy Davern? Cappy Davern. Um, so Captain Dennis initially says that he saw Robert Wagner and Natalie Wood arguing the night uh, that she disappears off the off this boat. Um, then he immediately amends it, and what makes it into the actual police uh, report is that they th- that it's never mentioned, right? That they were having this argument. Um, so it becomes this sort of mystery. They find her body about a kilometer away from from where the boat was moored. Um, and they do notice that she has bruises on her arms, uh, you know, that are fresh. Um, she has an abrasion on her cheek. Um, it's possible, like, they could, she could have fallen. She was drinking that night. She was also taking, uh, like, seasickness pills. So she, she has these bruises. She has a scrape. Um, the official story being an accident is, like, maybe she was on the, the, the deck of the boat and she sort of slipped, missed her footing or something, hit the side of the boat, tumbled, and that's how she got the bruises. Though them being on her arms suggest defensive wounds, right? Then the, the case kind of just goes away, right? Again, uh, people of influence around a potential suspicious death, uh, investigation is kind of swift, they rule it an accident, right? And you can hear more about this on the Hollywood Dead podcast coming to <laughs> Riff Laugh Network. <laughs> Maybe, but it's awfully suspicious, right? Like the legend here is that like somebody on that boat murdered her and somebody's not telling the truth. But Corey, what really happened? Well, in 2011, they reopened this and by 2018, they reopened the case. And by 2018, Robert Wagner was now listed as a suspicious person. Christopher Walken in like 2013 when they reopened the case and they started poking around again, he immediately lawyered up and was like, I didn't do shit. <laughs> like I was asleep. I don't know what the, I don't know anything. I had nothing to do with this. And they quickly said, yeah, you're good, Chris. Like we know you didn't have anything to do with it. And then around that same time, the captain rescinded his, his official statement uh, from the original investigation in 1981 and said that he did indeed see Robert Wagner and Natalie Wood having an argument that was semi-physical. And so now that places doubt on Robert Wagner. He becomes a person of, of uh, a, Ooh, a tell suspicious about the person. Tell him about the searchlights. So yeah, then they uncover, because Captain uh, Cappy, Cappy Davern here um, decides that like, look, en- enough time is enough time. I got to like tell you the, the real things. When they found out that Natalie was missing, it was in the evening, obviously. Um, Robert Wagner would not allow Cappy Davern to turn on any searchlights from the boat or kind of troll the waters a little bit to find his fucking wife. <laughs> that is, it's not a good look, Robbie. Not at all. <laughs> Andy's a little bit jealous, apparently, of his of her flirtations with Christopher with, Walken. With Christopher Walken. The dude, the dude's a fantastic dancer. How do you not see him sway his hips and, and not want to flirt with that guy? Well, at the saying. time they were doing a movie together. Yeah. Uh, yeah, apparently. Brainstorm, I believe. 
apparently Ca- Captain Daver was a uh, was a, uh, a fly on the wall during uh, most of this, and I think he knows a little more than he's actually letting on. I think Christopher Walken knows a lot more than he's letting on, and I think Robert Wagner accidentally murdered his his wife for sure, or the events that led up to her quote unquote accident. Uh, very much were influenced by Robert Wagner's actions that night. Uh, but that's part of the legend, right? It's uh, maybe, is it suspicious? It's yeah. very suspicious. But this is why these became myths and urban legends. Unfortunately, we can never find the answers to these. Nobody was on the boat with Robert Wagner and Natalie Wood, except for those other two witnesses. Yeah, I think the people on that particular boat were were, were all very drunk. Um probably including the captain. Um, the memories are probably very fuzzy, especially now 30 years you know, on. Um, for, 40 years now, right? 80, 81? Yeah. Um, eh, it, it may never be fully resolved, and that's, that's kind of a shame. Um, they did change her death certificate to remove the word accident, though. So the coroner and now the sort of like people that have the or that opened the investigation are at least admitting that there was probably some foul play um so it it adds another layer to the sort of legend that she was murdered and it wasn't an accidental falling overboard but yeah we may never know but anyway i think Corey, it's time for you to tell us your last one that you thought of that is that is a great one so Uh, as we've mentioned before, and if you followed the the show, yeah, we used to do exclusive. Uh, we used to exclusively be a Oscars podcast where we talked about switching Miss um, those days winners of the Oscars. But the idea of this show was about switching um, the Oscar to a rightful winner. Well, this particular legend um, states that that actually happened at an Oscars, right in 1993. Uh, Jack Palance is up on stage and he had won the year before for supporting actor, you know, and he's given out the award for best supporting actress and announces Marissa Tomei's name as the winner. And the like entertainment community and fans of movies, especially older Oscar voters and older fans of movies were gobsmacked. And could not believe that that was a thing that just happened. This actress who's having her debut role in My Cousin Vinny um, wins out over, uh, you know, a Hollywood legend like Vanessa Redgrave. But this legend spurred from that, that sort of like confusion as to how Marissa Tomei could have won this this, uh, supporting actress uh, Oscar. And the legend sprouts that Jack Palance said her name uh, either by mistake or said her name because he wanted her to win, not the real person that won, but that there was a switch made on stage and that she wasn't the rightful winner of the Oscars. And the Oscars, the Academy Awards, um, the Motion Picture Association of Arts and Sciences were so embarrassed that this kind of snafu could have happened that they just let her keep the Oscar as long as nobody talked about it. Now, Jeff. I do not believe that. No. We now know, 2017, the Oscars that gave us our namesake, when La La Land wins, quote unquote, for best picture, we know now what happens when somebody reads the wrong envelope or uh, miss 
you know, identifies a winner on stage. They quietly they walk out and make, and make them feel like an asshole and then yeah. they switch. Yeah. They let them get all the way up on stage and then they whisper in their ear, hey, here's the real envelope. You're not the winner. And then they have to rescind their acceptance speech. <laughs> They're not afraid of being embarrassed, Jeff. Well, that's all the myths and legends and urban legends that we have for today. But there are I hope you enjoy more, them. Jeff. There's tons. So please hit us up on Twitter at Switch Envelope or on Instagram at Switch the Envelope. If you have any other ones that you would like to discuss with us, we'd really enjoy you sharing your thoughts. We uh, want to keep the conversation going on social media. Corey, what else? Well, you can like and subscribe to us wherever you're listening to this podcast or, you know, go to switchtheenvelope.com for all your Switch the Envelope needs. Uh, there are buttons on that particular webpage in which you can pick the podcast subscriber of your choice and subscribe wherever you'd like. Cool, cool. Uh, then I guess we will see you next week. Until next time, go watch a movie, and we'll see you later, Switches. See you later, everybody. The following has been a Riff Laugh production.